The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercircle.com for more high-quality podcasts. This is Comics Therapy, episode 85. No reviews, just analysis. I'm Aaron Myers, and my co-host, as always, is Andrea Shockling. Up this week are two comics from June 24th, 2015, Daredevil number 16 and Annihilator number 6. On the couch, we're pleased to welcome back writer Brian Wood. Just as a reminder, we never do reviews, but we do talk a lot, so there may be spoilers ahead. Welcome to Comics Therapy. Neither Aaron nor I are licensed therapists, so don't take anything we say seriously. This week's theme is kill yourself. Seriously, that's what Aaron texted when I asked him, because he's a dick. I wasn't talking about the show. Watch it. I would have called this week something like making a deal with the devil, which is like actually referenced in the text of both of the books we're talking about. But hey, that's also what I do every show with Myers, so whatever. In between shows, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron Myers and Andrea at Andrea Shock. The show account is at Comics Therapy. How you doing? Hello. <laughs> um, I'm doing great. Are you? You seem a little stressed. Well, I'm always stressed. That's my secret. <laughs> How's that working out for you? Hmm. Um. Great. You got to go to the beach this weekend. I went to the beach this weekend you got to briefly. Go- do some comic thing with the thing and stuff this weekend too the comic thing is great it's called frank's comic swap right and it is an old school comic sale swap trade buy in in eagles lodge in portland and you pay a dollar to get in if you want a table you pay 20 bucks you set up your crap and you sell it and trade with other nerds for a day and it's basically the best thing ever awesome i'm glad you had a great time yeah i do have a great time what did it's you get, time to get comics i got you nothing awesome you don't support me <laughs> you don't support me or my life decision <laughs> are you kidding <laughs> yeah, you just make fun of me for that i do i do it's just too easy i don't even like why wouldn't you even be excited about that we saw we saw our mutual friend Chris Roberson came by. He was buying comics. Awesome. I saw Matt Roberts was there. Matt Roberts was there. Chris Sabella, I made wait outside for me. <laughs> I saw the text message from that. Mm-hmm. Joe Delicious. Keating was it's there. A, it's, a, it's a real who's who of Portland comics royalty. Oh, yeah. All you crazy kids buying up your comics. Yeah, it's fun. Okay. Yeah, Mazel that's tov. all. Yes, most people would find it very exciting. <laughs> 
I spent Mostly. a lot of money there. I think I spent more money there than I usually do at a convention. I have no idea what you usually spend at a convention, so. Um, I usually budget around $600 for a convention. Is that including... I, that's just just the floor. That's just like that's that's yeah. Art just the and insta. books and whatever. Okay. Right. Yeah, and I spent like seven hundred bucks this weekend. Wow, I am not even gonna pretend like I'm not judging. No, I got look when you can buy a New Mutants ninety eight now for twenty bucks, I, you buy as much stuff of that stuff as you can. I know, but but you know how I said to you, how much did you buy to read versus? I love versus sell like that's the part that I'm just you you're so into the game now the the buying and the selling I I just I don't know Aaron it's like I don't even know no you. no there's there was a ton of comics I wanted to keep how do I keep them by buying a bunch of other comics I want to sell <laughs> okay well that's what that way my net expense is actually zero besides besides like the you know the massive amounts of time I spend <laughs> selling comics <laughs> good instead of I'm glad instead of raising my children right hey you took yeah. them to the shore that's that's like a very family thing that you did right that that gives me like so much leeway now i can ignore them for months uh yes also it was right. mutually beneficial since it was cooler out there i'm so yes. sorry that it's a hundred thousand degrees in oregon right now it is actually just a hundred degrees which is still ridiculous for this area yes yeah Yep. Especially consistently. It's like twice what it is here at night. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's not cooling off either. It's like, I mean, who cares about the weather except that the, our world is dying and we're burning up because of it. We're either burning or freezing because of it. This is a true fact. I'm just reveling in my last two and a half weeks in the Bay Area, at least for the moment. Uh, because, you know, East Coast humidity is going to kick my ass soon enough so yeah pittsburgh doesn't have the same kind of cool breezy temperature of the, of the east bay cool breezy anything nope not not really anything. <laughs> mm. yeah yeah back to the world yeah. of, of air conditioning and or just dying see i'm i'm already having to figure out how how i can seal up the comic book room and keep it temperature controlled and everything like you know this whole climate change is really getting expensive you probably, I mean, legitimately would need to bring somebody in to deal with that. Because it's like insurance also, right? Sure. So you have... In theory. You have it all... First, you have to inventory it, which... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That is time-consuming. I enjoy reminding our listeners periodically that you are not quite obsessive enough to actually document your collection appropriately. No, that's that's wrong. I am obsessive enough to document a collection correctly i don't have the time to you could hire somebody to do that no i don't want to pay someone to organize my comics for me i want to organize my comics mm. maybe you should take vacation just to organize your comics <laughs> the problem is i have to convince chrissy that i can spend look i'm taking vacation time to spend eight hours a day to inventory my you know my comic book collection uh, don't bother me when i'm yes. there i'm technically working you've, you've just hit on how ridiculous the whole thing is well Ridiculous is a relative term. On the other hand, I am packing so many books right now. So many. So maybe I should back off and not make fun of you because, holy shit, have I acquired a lot of books 
over the past year. You can give them to me. I am not going to give them to you. I love them all dearly. I sleep with them sometimes, and therefore, no, not for you, all for me. Those will be fun to haul across country. Uh, none of this is fun, Aaron. <laughs> Just for the record. Okay. None of this is fun, but mm. it is a thing that has to happen, and therefore... Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to pack them all up, and yes, I'm going to take them with me. Good. All right, fine. Anything else? I would I would happily, you know, protect them in my room. It's not going to happen. Let it go. I, I get to keep, like, the small bits of my life that bring me joy, so. <laughs> For now. <laughs> wow. Cool. I was going to mm -hmm. segue into talking about, like, big real things happening in my life but i feel like the tone is not really appropriate for that no i i can be i can be serious why don't we talk about your life i, I think it'd be i think it behooves us to inform the listener of some something cool i mean not cool it's all super not cool but right. uh i guess just in anticipation of just continued nonsense with our scheduling uh Hey guys, there's a, a real reason for it. Uh, so, um, so I went to Pittsburgh last week to move my mom into hospice, and I'm in the process of moving there now, for real, uh, in the next couple of weeks, and that's where I'll be for the foreseeable future. So, if the show's late or we miss a week, um, that's that's probably one of the contributing factors. Now you know. Yeah, I think it's probably safe to say while you're moving, we're probably going to miss some shows. Right. Yeah, I think that's probably true, and uh, and and we'll see we'll see how things go once we're all set up. Um, she's she's pretty stable right now, uh, so that's cool. It's great. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. It's better than cool. I don't have words for most of this, which is why instead we're going to talk about comics. It's going to be great. Yeah, comics are better than talking about real life. That is what I say every morning when I get up. <laughs> did we, um, yeah, we did all the normal start the show stuff. So now we can get into the... Thanks for paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> now we can get into the, the, like, comics part. We don't have to talk about life anymore? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, okay. that's the part I like yeah. anyway. Okay, let's do that. Our first book this week is Daredevil number 16, written by Mark Wade, with art by Chris Samney and colors by Matt Wilson. Lettering is by Joe Caramonga. Daredevil is published by Marvel Comics. It is, in fact, published by Marvel Comics. Yeah. Will it continue to be published by Marvel Comics? <laughs> yeah, I would assume so. I don't I don't think DC is going to be publishing anytime. <laughs> That's not what I mean. Mm -hmm. All of the, the changes that were just announced this morning, as a matter of fact... Did you pay attention I'm to that? Sure. There was only one I cared about, and then I didn't care anymore. Oh, right. Your ROM thing. I'm sorry yeah. about your robot. Yeah, thank you. Uh-huh. We can... I don't want to talk about more depressing stuff. Cool. So, actually, though, with this book, I have some really strong thoughts about this book changing hands because of some of the things that have been happening with with Matt specifically, like dealing with his uh, depression and the 
like raw exposure of his mental health state in the storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. We spend a lot of time talking about secret wars and how things are going to change or not change. And, and uh, when we lay eyes on the solicits for the fall and the announcements like today where creative teams are changing, there are certain characters and Matt is one of them where I'm like, man, there's so much groundwork being laid here for some something that isn't often looked at in in comics in mainstream like superhero comics that would be a shame to to throw away that's all yeah but that's how every like every great run of i mean even look at like you know wonder woman with dc you know, it's like that run comes to an end and then all that stuff's undone. I, I understand that. We've talked about that ad nauseum. There is something, though, about taking the development of of somebody's kind of mental struggles that are, are so, like, personal and so... Like, he's in such a vulnerable position. And again, it's just not... They've had an opportunity to put that out there. The, the current creative team... Um, Mark Wade and, and Chris Omni have, have had the chance to tell the story of the like soul crushing state of being of of like chronic depression in a way that like you just don't you don't do that very often with superheroes. That's true. And so for me, it's less of hey, now we're going to take this in a different direction and it's cool because we do that all the time. And it's more like, oh, this is maybe, maybe a facet of his life that that is, is really central to who he is to the reader now that may or may not be explored, you know, moving forward. Especially with what's happening in this book where we're talking about like the dismantling of of Matt Murdock to, to save his friends. Like what, what, what other kind of gesture short of actually killing himself could he, could he do, you know, after, after this is resolved. So I think we're like, we're in a really powerful place with him, but I will admit to being like wary of where do we go from there? Probably just because the, like the emotional content of this, of this arc has been, I think it's resonated with a lot of people. It has. I think after this, though, what where would you go from there is almost like a reset, just back to maybe even the basic superhero stuff for a while. I guess so. Because if you have... I mean, think about where we came from in this, you know, when, when Wade took over. You had Bendis writing it for years. And, that you know, Bendis' run is really, really heavy. It is. It is. It's super yeah. dark. And it's not that Wade's run isn't heavy. Like you really, you touched on it that it's, it's, it seems like it's. You know, we were talking like people were talking early on with this, like how much fun and like how ha- you know, like it got back to the roots of like Happy Daredevil when it really hasn't. It's really like the facade, and that facade has been stripped away over these last few years in a really amazing way. Right. Right. That hasn't that hasn't tarnished the initial sort of enthusiasm we had for this this reboot. So you could you could very well have someone take over who does something similar. It's a new direction, but 
but the talent lies within the B story, the story that unfolds over the years. Do you think that the fact that the B story has been like more of an internal struggle, that that he's not sharing, like Matt's not sharing that with very many people. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's difficult to convey in in a comic that relies heavily on like ensemble interactions. You get a lot of just like narrative bubble after narrative bubble of of like literally hearing the thoughts in his head. I think that's the voice that I'm worried about losing. But your your point though of just looking at it from a different like a different perspective for a while is like we could go back to less internal and more of like an external viewpoint and that that actually might give us like a balance into what you know what everybody else sees with with him i don't know yeah i don't know i don't think someone else could come in doing a similar style or trying to trying to do a similar to to take up the same character essentially Mm -hmm. no matter how good a job they did they would they would never be the previous team and they would always be compared to that of you just like if you have you know if you have some really good ice cream and you just eat some <laughs> more really good ice cream that second ice cream is never going to be as good as the first bite <laughs> so you just have to have a palate cleanser for a while that i don't want to say i mean charles soul's writing now i missed who who's who's drawing i don't remember uh so i wouldn't i wouldn't call him a palate cleanser but but maybe no. But he's a smart writer who who knows probably better than to try to to, to continue the same. Sure, thing. sure, I agree. So, do you think like what do you think this means for for Matt though? I mean, foregoing speculation about like I just did <laughs> about where we're heading next. What right right now, the the deal with the devil right that's been proposed. What what do you what do you think is going to happen with uh, Matt as a... If he goes through with it, like, he's he's alone again. Yeah. But he's doing it to... He already knew... He's already known that his current relationship would never work out. Like, that was pr- almost predestined. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was in, earlier, in an yeah. earlier issue. You know, he knew that that was doomed f- forever. And... I think with Foggy, he's been feeling for so long that he needs to get Foggy away from him in order to save Foggy's life. So by killing himself, he's he's saving his friends. You know, it's sacrificing it's sacrificing that. You know, in order to save the people you love. Uh, That is that is a terrible terrible thing to decide is your best course of action. Oh, it's limited limited options. Right, but, but what if it doesn't work? Well, sure, nothing's guaranteed. <laughs> nothing's guaranteed in this life or the next. Do you think that do you think that Matt was was being honest when he told uh, Kirsten that he loved her? Um, I think so, yeah. But that doesn't mean that he has to be with her forever. Certainly not. But mm-hmm. but why right then? Do we still have to acknowledge that the whole thing is doomed? Like, don't they get their moment? Or a little bit more than just a moment? They've had their moment. <laughs> it's so And now, now, you know, now it's, well, sure, it's comic books. <laughs> you get 
six to 18 issues. <laughs> and most of them, not everything is fine. Yep. And occasionally there's some sort of cataclysmic event that will interrupt things. Yeah. <laughs> no big deal. End of the universe <laughs> again. It's fine. Right. Again. <laughs> well, maybe that's the end of this segment. Oh, that's so, it's so finite. Okay. What it else is. you got? Well, let's talk about our second book. Okay. Our second book this week is Annihilator Number 6, written by Grant Morrison with art by Fraser Irving. Lettering is by Jared K. Fletcher. Annihilator is a six-part miniseries published by Legendary. So six-part miniseries does not do this justice because each of the issues are like twice the normal length. Mm-hmm. It's, yes. It's a hell of a, hell of a thing to bite off in one chunk, which is how I read it. Yes. So thanks for that. That's not my fault. I've been reading it every time it came out. Uh, did you have to go back and, and remind yourself, though? Because I, my understanding is that there was a significant wait, at least between uh, when 6 was solicited and when it actually showed up. Yeah, I think 6, like the last one that came out was maybe 3 or 4 months ago before this one. Are you sure? I thought I it was more than that. Time is very relative for me. Time is for super me. relative for you, I, I know. Uh, yeah, so this is, damn, damn. I really, I really thought a lot about the, the big themes of the story and have been thinking about them for the past couple of days. I mean, I think about Daredevil a lot too, especially some of the, the previous issues where it was, where it was much more honest, like I said, about about the facade that he creates. And I, I just think that's really f- sort of fascinating. But some of the things that that Annihilator just fucking puts out there on the table about, <laughs> like, everything is bullshit, but, like, we just got to do the best we can, but it's still, it's still fucking terrible. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm right there. This is a perfect book for me right now. I think what I'm trying to say with way too many words is that, like, I actually haven't finished processing how I feel about this book which is I guess a good thing because it's it's pretty complicated do you want to elaborate though no I want you to talk a little bit and let me respond to you for a change it's harder for me to it's not as fresh for me like I finished the ending and to talk about like the space between it it, like between issues typically like for because I read so many books like the story will come back to me when I read the next issue sure you know, so reading through this was kind of a reminder of what was going on. Do you think that that diminishes the emotional impact for you for like a lot of books that you read, though? Um, for stories like this, if they're not coming out consistently, sure. Man, that that makes me a little sad for you because this I thought this this I thought this story was incredibly emotional, even though it was like a totally fucked up sci-fi like bizarro world. And there's a lot of, like, story within the story and what part is real and what part is uh, perceived as real and what's a hallucination and what's the emotional stuff, even in the, even amongst the craziness, is what I keep turning over and over in my head. 
Oh, that's fair. It's an emotional story. Like, there's a lot of impact. I think this is even better to read, non, like, non-issue-wise. That's why it was, it was better for you to read them, like, all at once. Right, right. Even though it, it, it's a, emotionally heavy to read as one sitting. Yeah, hell yeah. I, I had to take breaks. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you don't have to take months' breaks. No, so no, but I had different. to take breaks from when, when I started reading it, just... Because it's a lot to, it's a lot to process in a story. It's a lot to unpack and and say like, okay, what actually is happening here? Because in terms of of telling a a story, it is not linear and it is it is complex. That being said, mm-hmm. though, there there's a lot of like inner turmoil in a in a similar fashion of like. You know, how do I, how do I overcome this? And this is like a a huge struggle and I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. And now, you know, here's what I need to do. And, and it's sacrifice just like, like dare, just like daredevil. Uh, Yeah. On on multiple, weirdly, like, you know, inversed and looped back levels. Right. Right. And so I think that sometimes when we have stories like that, that are, are bigger, you know, Daredevils is this like internal struggle and yeah, like shit is hitting the fan and he's, he's going to, uh, Kingpin for help. And like, so that's a very like, whoa, superhero classic thing. Mm -hmm. But, uh, with, with Annihilator, I think it, it, it's probably easy to ignore a lot of the emotional stuff because, it's this crazy science fiction, like fucking devil and blah. Like I think you can, you can just look at it like at that level and not dial down into the the artist struggle, into the like relationship struggle. Like there's a lot of of other stuff happening there that that I think makes the sacrifice more poignant. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to talk without talking about specifics or getting into the specific of the story. The and it really requires more of a reread to be able to tar- articulate some of the things that Morrison is parsing out in the story in typical Morrison fashion, too. You know. For you, I I don't need to reread it right now. I'm good. <laughs> oh sure. Right for for me, like that's where. It, it would be probably it would probably behoove me to sit down and reread it again to get some more of the nuances of the story that you don't pick up issue to issue with spaces in between. Hmm. I'm just I'm I'm thinking about that now just because you're the one who recommended it. Yeah. And so I never know if you're recommending it for me because you think I need to read something or if you're recommending it cuz you want to talk about it. It sounds like more the former this time. <laughs> No, I thought both that it's it's relevant and worthy of discussion. How much of it was real? Do you think you know? Like I, I, I end a story think... like that, and I'm you know where so much of it is is head games. I think it is real in the sense of the artist's creation have manifesting some sort of realness outside of the artist. You mean like like Ray's story about Max? And Max right. was real. To, in, in a sense, not, but no. I mean, it's sort of like, 
never-ending story reel or something like that, you know? Like, it's a creation of your imagination. I don't know. I... I... <laughs> well, it's supposed to leave you that way. You're not supposed to really know, and it doesn't... In the end, it doesn't really it doesn't, matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That I... I'm, I'm, I've always been a fan of that kind of uh, story within a story. Like, that... That style. Uh, almost... <sighs> Man, it's almost Inception-y, but, but not quite. I think... No. Yeah, it's just... It's just the story... The, the character becoming entwined with... You know, it's like that... It's like that um, Airboy kind of kind of thing. Right. Oh, man. Airboy 2 comes out this week, so that should be fascinating. It should answer some of those questions. But when you have more than one character experiencing, like, the, the mass hallucination literally or with more than one person uh then then i just tend to accept it as like oh no this is really fucking happening like we're all sure we're all actually i mean this is isn't that the definition of reality anyway oh man i don't know i had this i had this epic conversation this week about how we all construct the reality that that we want and that the problem happens when you intersect with somebody else's reality and it's not the same, and then you have to reconcile the differences. And if yours was based on fantasy more than actual reality, and they're introducing actual reality, you're the one who's fucked. You're the one who's depressed. You're the one who's like, oh my god, this thing that I thought was actually happening isn't. And like, whew, everything, everything dies. And, and then you create a new reality that's actually more real. And I think we all do that. I think that watching it happen so beautifully in the visuals in something like Annihilator is what kind of makes it good storytelling. But like we all we all do that to ourselves. We all create what we want the world to be. It's just that we're constantly butting up with butting up against <laughs> what it actually is. Which is kind of terrible. It's possible I'm just like in that place right now mentally, Aaron. Or, right. It's, or it's possible maybe that's the reality you're creating for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I it, I wonder when I go back and reread some of this stuff, like later in my life, you know. I have things like that at other points that are tied to where I was at that, at that time. And then I go back and it either does or does not still hit me the same way. Well, yeah, your perspective has changed. Other experiences have altered the past. Right. And... Right. And sometimes I'm like, really? This was this was shit. Why? Why did I why why did it speak to me the way that it did? And I I don't know. You can't predict that kind of stuff, I don't think. Not that I know of. <laughs> but Annihilator is gorgeous, so I think the art will always say like "hi" to me because it's, <laughs> it's so rad. But speaking of realities of our own creation coming to confront us, I'm sure many people can hear the children screaming in the oh, background. Oh, are you getting rid of me? I can tell. It's cool because we have an interview anyway, so we can stop talking about comics and listening to your children scream. And instead, we can talk to Brian. You can, <laughs> you can. This is the reality I have to live with. It's cool because the start of the interview with Brian is all about how much our kids affect our lives. So great segue. You actually gold star right there. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> there we go. 
All right, well, hopefully everyone will enjoy this interview with Brian Wood. This week on the couch, we welcome back Eisner-nominated writer, illustrator, and graphic artist Brian Wood. We talked to him in episode 26 last year. Since then, he's been pretty prolific, wrapping up his creator-owned series, The Massive, published by Dark Horse, debuting his new series, Rebels, with artist Andrea Muti, also published by Dark Horse. And just last week, the first issue of Starve hit stores, drawn by Daniel Zhezhez and published by Image Comics. Nice Brian is also... What? <laughs> I said that was that was good. Oh, okay, you great. That's right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Brian has also written X Men and Moon Knight for Marvel and Star Wars and Conan for Dark Horse. His series Demo with artist Becky Cloonan was recently re-released in a collected edition by Vertigo. Thank you for talking with us today, Brian. It's always great to get the chance to do this. Uh, yeah, no, thanks. I, I know we've been trying to plan it for a very long time. A very so, long time. So it, you're a little I'm, busy right now um (laughs) i guess yeah it 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 ebbs and flows um i I guess i always am anyone with kids can claim busyness i mean that that's my that's my go-to excuse like i can't the kids i know well every time i have to use it an excuse to an editor i know they're just like rolling their their eyes (laughs) like yeah right his kids again you know that's true (laughs) It's true. Unless they have kids. I don't know anyone with kids who doesn't accept that as a as an excuse. Agreed. Like, oh, there goes Brian calling his yes um, <laughs> three his kids again. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a loose term. There's you know you can feel kind of fatherhood for a lot of things, objects, <laughs> children. It's sort of a you know it's a moving target for me. It's really whatever you need at the time you need it. Sure. To get you out of what it is you're supposed to be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so Andrea gave us a quick rundown of the current projects in the intro. Um, can you can you expand on that for us? You've got Rebels and Starve out now, and you've got Black Road with Gary Brown coming up. Can yeah. You, um, tell us, can you just tell us more about these three? And they're they're very sure. different stories. Yeah, yeah. I always try to do that just from to keep myself from getting bored and burnt out. Um, I try to vary it as much as I can. As I can. It's funny. I'm so like the way Dark Horse works is they have us produce like so far ahead of schedule i actually wrote my final rebels today oh wow the the final one in the first chunk okay sort of like um i mean i don't know how much this is common common knowledge but even like any book that's in an ongoing the the publisher only approves uh like you know issue like blocks of like 12 at a at a time sure yeah i think when we talked we talked um to another a vertigo writer that said you know they're basically two arcs at a time they're approved right right so so the first block of rebels was 10 10 issues and Mm. so like i just i just finished that and um so we're gonna take a i mean we're gonna there's gonna gonna be gonna be a break i mean i'm sure we'll do more assuming sales are good and everybody's willing um so yeah, so I'm doing Rebels, which is my American rev- Revolution historical thing, um, <laughs> structured in the same way that the Northlanders was. We're going to have a lot of guest artists come in to do like one shots and short stories that kind of take us 
take us around look in ter terms of time and look location and story type you know so we're not necessarily following the same character throughout the no okay. no it's it's it, you know it's not exactly like that i mean andrea is like the main artist um so like assuming this continues on for years years and years like he'll do he'll always be the one doing the big story arcs mm -hmm. Like like Seth's story that we're following primarily. Yeah, okay. Right. Right. So like these these first ten, we have the six issue Seth's story. Then then there's four one shots. Okay. And, yeah. and after after that, Andrea would come back and do like the next main story. You know, and we'd have you know guests come in. Mm. You know. Um. Cool. So there's like a it's it has more of an ongoing feel in that sense because we do have like a regular look to the mm -hmm. book. You know. Um. Well, and with Northlanders too, you were kind of spanning a, a bigger area and a, a bigger time frame. Yeah, yeah. Although I don't know, we saw. I mean, I'm, that's the goal here too. I mean, this last one I just wrote goes back like like thirty or forty years to oh. like the French Indian War. Oh wow! Okay. And I like I want to do one about Lewis and Clark at some some point, you know. So I'll skip skip ahead a bit. It's not so much about the Revolutionary War as it is about like the colonial times, like. Okay. The, times around that mm -hmm. when you bring in a guest artist does Jordi Belair stay on colors yeah yes excellent I'm sure that also helps with the consistent look then um yeah yeah it definitely does um so uh all right so I'm doing that um Starve just came out which is like awesome it's my new favorite book <laughs> uh, I'm just having so much fun like I was like really wary about it because I've had this pitch banging around for a long a long time and I had written it um to be my DMZ follow-up follow book oh really Vertigo mm -hmm. and like I pitched it it looked all cool everything was cool and then like the they decided to sign Anthony Bourdain to do his cooking graphic novel oh and so it's <laughs> So Starve got the got the boot. Mm. <laughs> I was like really really upset about that. Um, so I so I recycled a lot of it into what 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 became the uh, massive. You know, like you can sort of see there's some like environmental things in there. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, so when Daniel came came up to me, he's like, oh, you know, I'm always coming in and helping you on your main books. We should do something that's just just us. We should do like a creator own book. You know. Um, and I'm like, great. So I send him over like, you know, my folder full of like pitches, you know, and odds, odds and ends. And this is the one he had picked. And it was, I, th I thought he, he would pick the Viking book, the Black Road, you know, mm -hmm. that would have, would have been my guess. Um, and he picked this and I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I got to whip this back into shape, you know, <laughs> and it was like a little bit like, yeah, that was not at all my first uh, choice. But, uh, you know, once I got it, got into it and once I saw the art and I mean, really, the, that really um, is what kind of brings it all together. Did you, for him. Did you have to yeah. resurrect that story kind of in your psyche, too? Had you kind of buried it, you know, and then it's like you have to pull it out of the offline archive in a way? Kind of. I had had this, um, like, I had first written, like, the first issue out, uh, outline on a piece of regular paper in my notebook, which is how I often you know, take like a first pass at something. Mm. Um, and I had torn it out of the book and stuck it to my wall just as a way to remind me that it exists, you know, mm. <laughs> as opposed to like a file on my desktop somewhere. 
Um, so this outline had been tacked to my wall for like, like four or five years, you know? And, uh, so I've always, like, it's, it's always kind of been like in my general awareness. Um, but yeah, like once I actually had to like turn it into like, take it from like a one page out outline to like a proper pitch and everything, I was like, oh, I got to put a lot of work into this. So that kind of got, got years work working again. Like I had to find everything that I had stolen for the, for the massive, you know, and take it out. Um, and then sort of, you know, um, find stuff to like fill it, you know, like, you know, to sort of, you know, fill, fill it back out again. Um, so that's how it kind of became less of like a environmental dystopia thing to like this sort of family drama which is really, which is really at the heart of the of the book. You know, it's not it's not super ev evident in the first issue that that's really the core of the story, but it but it but it is. There's, you'll there's see allusions to that, though. Yeah. yeah. Do you have now? Now I wonder. Do you have a bunch of these skeletons on the wall that are just waiting to be fleshed out? Yeah, I got tons. I got my uh, the other historical one, which I've mentioned enough in subtle ways online. Is I have like an Italian rena uh, Renaissance drama. Oh, that's so <laughs> of, all, of all things, right? Um, which like it's also been sitting around for for years and years, um, and uh, so that's there. Um, I don't know. I got other. I got some other sort of. Well, and Black Road is also a return to Norway, yeah. Like it's a return the... to to Viking. Sure, it's yeah. gonna, it's different. Um, it's not like I would not call it a, a historical comic comic. Like I sort of did that on North on Northland. Right, I didn't right. feel the need to to do do it again. So it's definitely Viking, but historical accuracy is like not the number one mm. thing. You know? Um like it's funnier, it's looser, it's sort of written in like that sort of you know, darkly humorous style that the way Starve is. Um you know, and Gary kind of drawing it a little, like the guy is like really big, like, you know, in like sort of like an exaggerated way and stuff. Um, so it definitely has a different feel. Um, that's yeah. that's a really great segue because I wanted to talk about writing historical fiction because it's something that you're known for and you've returned to it again and again. And I read a, a comic recently, not one of yours, that was, uh, it was set in 1919 and all of the clothing and the decor was wrong and it, and it drove me bananas. And yeah. I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that likely a lot of the reading our, um, audience didn't notice. They weren't like as irritated yeah. by it as I was. But it, it got me thinking though about like why be specific about a period if you're not going to embrace the recognizable visuals. So I'm curious about two things, like what draws you to a specific time in history, be it Vikings or, uh, you know, colonial New England? And then how do you decide which historical elements are essential for the story and for modern audiences and which can be fudged? Well, okay. So as far as being drawn to the Viking stuff, it was really, it was really random at the time. I mean, I feel like I've, I'm, apologies if everybody's heard this before but um when i was approached to start a second monthly book at vertigo i was told like look you always do the exact same thing you pitch us something but it cannot be urban or new york city or, <laughs> right. like, or anything like that you gotta like really like go outside of your com comfort zone which is awesome advice so 
you know, honestly, to, I don't know why it was Vikings. I don't know if I had, like, read something recently or, or, or what, but I just sort of made this this call. I'm like, you know, Viking crime, crime, crime drama. That's, like, as far away from what I usually do as I feel like I can get, you know. Um, and then I sort of had to do all the research and sort of like, you know, to, to like catch up to that, uh, to, to that idea. Um, but it was very random. Um, it obviously worked out great with the rebels. It's very different because this is something, you know, I was sitting down in a very del deliberate w way and I'm like, I want to do another historical book. Like what's something that I can write, write, write about that I can actually, that I can emotionally connect to and therefore like transmit that to the readers you know mm -hmm, um, and this is just the stuff that i already like i mean i grew up in new england this is the sort of stuff i was into when i was a kid I, we you know live near all the landmarks i live near landmarks now here in here in, Brooke, in Brooke, brooklyn you know um it's just stuff i've always thought was uh, cool and i didn't have to have to do a lot of research for it um just because of that so um, it sounds like that advice initially to break out of the out of the comfort zone is kind of stuck with you, because if you look at these three books, you're you're shooting kind of three different walls at the same time. Well, it definitely worked. I mean, it was a scary thing. Right. I mean, I really I really like sort of like leapt off the ledge with that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> just had to like I mean, it's a real personal um, challenge challenger. Like I didn't know how I was going to do it. But I made the decision to do do it anyway, and I figured it out. Mm -hmm. um, like I feel like I've done things like that a couple of times since, um, where I just sort of been like, I'm just gonna try something that I've never done and like commit and then figure it out. Um, <laughs> and it worked. I mean, it's like it's it's a really good personal exercise too. Like I enjoy it just just for for myself. Does doing that with something like Rebels that has that that comfort and familiarity of like location or proximity or something from your yeah. childhood though, make it less daunting? Well, the entire thing is less daunting just because I feel like I, I feel very com comfortable with the, with the historical comic. Yeah. Okay. I sort of like, I feel like I've, I've proven it to myself that I can do it, that I can do the research and interpret the re research and, you know, make it, make it into, into interesting and make it work. And I know like, you know, to to lead into the second part of your question um, about the costumes, which I actually have put a lot of thought into, it, and I'm really glad you actually asked me this. <laughs> talk, talk, talk about it. Is it's it's so hard, and I I I don't know what this 1919 book book is, but like in the case of colonial times, the clothes are stupid. Like, they just really are. Viking clothes are stupid. Like, they just look really dumb. I mean, like, red coats with their tights and their powdered wigs. I mean, you have to figure out, you have to make that look cool, right? Yeah. Not like a, not, not like a, a, a Halloween costume, right. you know? Or like yes. a bunch of Korean actors or something. Yeah. So the rule I always have, and every artist I've worked with on these books, you know, knows it by, by heart, is I'm like, if it comes down to being accurate or being cool, you have to be cool every time. Mm. And by cool, I just mean not a corny, you know? Like, yeah. if you have to break all the historical accuracy rules, you just break it, because story <laughs> always comes first, and looking good always comes first, and not right. look silly, you know? Um, <laughs> so we, like, especially Vikings was also pretty pretty hard, too, because uh, I would look at... I mean, that's a little different, because there was no, like, 
like written record back then. Mm -hmm. So anything, you know, even the oldest paintings you can find about Vikings, it's an interpretation, you know? Mm -hmm. So you don't really know exactly what they look like, but a lot of it was like really dumb, like, like super baggy pants and like <laughs> weird. I don't know. It's like it's, most most know. things would have been utilitarian. You don't really have high fashion <laughs> during that time or anything. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of artists sort of default to like the Conan look. Uh -huh. you yeah. Know? Like I had to talk Gar uh, Gary out of that. I'm like, he's not gonna. You know, this is like, like, northern Scan Scandinavia. <laughs> right. He's not gonna wear wear a tank top like. A <laughs> Top. you know give them sleeves it's cold out yeah. you know give them right. gloves. it's cold out you know that kind of thing i mean not to pick on gary but i feel like it's i mean i feel like i may maybe i take a lot of my research for uh, granted but that all this stuff just seems very logical but i feel like if you're used to seeing you know sword and sorcery guys in comics you know maybe you just assume that's how to how to draw you know yeah, there's, um, there's a fine line between entertainment and complete accuracy too because even if you're talking about colonial times you don't you don't necessarily want to show somebody in dirty rags that stink and you know they can't wash them properly or, or you know they're just going to be muted colors and probably holes in them or you know even a red coat is mostly brown because you know you can't yeah. you can't clean it sure. and your hands are bandaged and you're dying right. from scurvy and everything else you know <laughs> not a not great times for your body or clothing it's yeah. not, but at the same time, if if your only awareness of the clothing of the period comes from reading other like secondary sources, mm -hmm. we so the the swords and sorcery comics, right? If we all have this sense of like Vikings looking like Conan, and that's based on a fantasy comic book, and it not actually based in reality, when you actually go back and look at any sort of of research there's an adjustment. Oh wait, that's what it actually was. Oh man. Yeah. I don't like that as much. And then you right. have to reconcile it. So yeah. I get, I get that there's a balance. I'm, I, I also understand that like I, I have a degree in it, so I probably need to like, let it go. <laughs> but you can confirm well, yeah. for us, Andrea, that the women did wear chainmail bikinis, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Just, just wanted yeah, to make yeah. sure. Luckily, my yeah, my studies in, in costume design did not cover that particular era of fantasy time, but <laughs> I can tell you what the silhouette of a dress from 1919 looks like. So, yeah. cool. Well, obviously, that's, <laughs> that's much more recent, and it's very well documented. It is. It and is. And I feel like it's, you have less leeway there. I feel like I had a lot of play with the Viking stuff, because no one really sure. knows what like you mm -hmm. know like you can go online and there's like forums and forums of all these reenactors arguing over like what color thread and how far spacing out the <laughs> seams were and everything like that because no one knows you know they're right. all still arguing about it um <laughs> that's sort of um, but obviously you know colonial times is much closer we have a really good i good idea of what of what everything looked like you know then obviously if you're talking about the 20s, you know, it's even more so. But I, I like the attitude of going for cool rather than accuracy, because I think that that sums up just in a nutshell, like what the what the end goal is, which is to tell a, a compelling story. Right. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, on, on the flip side, though, you've spent a fair share writing dystopian near future cautionary tales of excess consumerism 
reliance on technology, stewardship of the planet, et cetera, et cetera, you know, all that stuff we need to be worried about. Um, but is there a separation of politics, you know, from Brian the guy and Brian the writer? Do you do you find any of those feelings tempering or getting stronger, especially as your kids get older? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's... I sort of, I've, I put a lot of uh, Im Im importance on striving because it's, it's dif difficult, but striving to write in a way that someone who doesn't know, know me mm -hmm. can't really tell what, what I believe. And it's been really interesting with, with Rebels where I've sort of, you know, like I get a lot of crazy email from crazy, crazy right right wingers hmm. that are like right on man totally with you like you know this country's gone to hell i really love that finally someone out there gets it and understands how we have to take it back oh, and that, cool. that kind of stuff right huh. and i'm like that's interesting because i would never say that you know like <laughs> but and and i'm sort of deliberately taking like a very patriotic tone with with rebels like in interviews too but but I'm not being un, untrue to myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I got your essay about the difference between like patriotism and I don't know, almost like fanaticism. I thought that was, that was like right on point. Right. That, like there's room for, for love of the country while also like thoughtfully critiquing sure. policy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess um, in the last decade too, that these sort of, that, you know, looking at the Revolutionary War and the, you know, the American Revolution and the founding of our country in terms of how we also fight the war on terrorism, you know, domestically and foreignly, it has, I guess, is very polarizing, you know. Yeah, and we sort of have lapsed into this, like, you know, like, there's no nuance in you anymore. Mm -hmm. It's like, if I have this... Like, if I have a belief that happens to conform to, like, one of the stock beliefs of, like, a political party, then therefore I must, like, agree with everything they did they do, you know? Like, you can no longer pick and choose. You're either left or right, right. red and blue, with, with nothing really, you know, there's not a lot of room for, like, in-betweens there. Do you, um, when you're writing these stories, do you sometimes, like, it's that breaking out of the box, kind of going back to, you know, breaking out of the comfort zone, the... I just think when when we were putting this question together, it kind of really made me think of, for some reason, Orson Scott Card and how when I was reading his books as a, and I'm not comparing the two of you at all, but when I was reading his books as a kid, I thought, like, this guy must be super liberal. Like, you know, this is totally speaks to me, like, on so many levels, like the whole Ender's Game series and how it's, you know, about xenophobia and, you know, coming together and finding, like, common humanity. And then you find out, the man and his politics are completely opposite. Yeah. And I, I always wonder, it's like, I, we hear so much separate the artist from the work, you know, the man from, you know, from the work. But is that part, do you sometimes work on, on separating yourself out to like deliberately trying to take a, a stance or, or write from a point of view that would be opposite of your, your own personal beliefs? I, w I would never make a make a deliberate, like you know. I mean, I would never never do that in like a deliberate way to write the opposite. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, if if what I would do is just 
not not really be a vague, but just sort of like occupy the gray area. area hmm. You know, um, is it because you don't want to stray into the area of manifesto? Well, no. Well, yeah, I definitely don't want to do do that. I mean, I did a lot of that really early on. Mm -hmm. Like like my first book, Channel 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 Zero, was really was like as as like young art student rage filled thing as you can get, right. you know, and then, and then when I did DMZ, I was like, you know, I, I can't do that, that, that again, you know, like, I'm like, first of all, I've like aged a lot, you know, I've gotten older and wiser. <laughs> and also like, I don't want anybody to be able to like, to like write the book off. Right. Because they see right through it mm -hmm. at, at some message I'm trying to, trying to sell, you know? And I, and it was really hard because it was the first, first time I, I did it, but I really wanted you know, in, in DMZ to write in a way where you can't really tell what I, what I think or who the good guys really are. Like, everybody's kind of bad. You know, it's like all, like, in the eye of the beholder in the interpretation of the reader, you know? And that was, like, an ongoing struggle with, with DMZ because it was, like, you know, at, at the time, you know, this is all, like, hot-button topical issues and everybody had, had an opinion, you know, at the start of the, the Iraq War and everything. Um... But now it's like a little bit different. Like with the uh, massive, um, um, like I I feel like I had refined that. And there's that story in the massive about the whale hunters. Um, mm -hmm. And I like in in writing in writing the massive, I had become friendly with the with the sea the sea shepherd guys. Mm -hmm. You know the whale wars TV show. Like actually emailing with the captain of those ships. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, this is great. You know, because obviously, like I I was inspired heavily by them but then when i wrote that like whale thing where it wasn't like you know i didn't take that super black and white stance with it like they weren't super pleased about that yeah <laughs> i sort of like i didn't like you know i mean i mean obviously i have a very different job than what they do like they're supposed to be like super vocal about their personal beliefs and act on it and everything like that i'm right. writing a fiction story you know right. so you're telling that story you're trying to look at what are with the factors yeah. and the and especially an economic and global collapse like that yeah and also like i mean i have to represent the characters correctly there's like a range of beliefs in the story and i have to right. do them just justice you know mm -hmm. uh, you get to choose your subjectivity in a way that like very few people have that have that luxury, I guess. That you you and I we kind of assign it to you. I mean, we're doing it. Aaron and I are doing it right now, just in the way that we're speaking with you. Right. Is that we're still we're still kind of repackaging it as this is obviously what Brian thinks. Like yeah. maybe yeah. he's at, he's more supportive of these guys than than I am. And like, I wonder why he has that perspective. And it's not that necessarily. It's all, it's all to support the story. And I think that a lot of people have a difficult time separating intention out with that. Well, that's really the point. Like, like I said, the, my goal in, in adopting this, this stance is I don't want anybody to just write off the book as like some prop, prop propaganda. Yeah. Um, like I, I don't want to alienate anybody. It's not like about money. It's like I just don't want to like turn anybody off before the work gets its fair uh, shake, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's plenty of people out there. You know, you, you you see how everybody judges everything before it comes out, you know. <laughs> like as much as I as much as I can min min minimize that, I will, you know. 
so that's really at its at its root you know i just want sort of like you know well, to, it speaks like, to the maturity of of you as a writer and like as a person too i mean we have talked not on the show but um a number of us who are in our mid to late 30s have had some conversations about books that have come out recently that have much more of that manifesto kind of like treatise here's my sword and i'm gonna die on it and and it's a comic kind of feel that is very off-putting like it makes me feel less engaged with the story because i feel like i'm reading somebody's i think your point about like young art student like screaming uh, (laughs) it's very valid it doesn't that doesn't always lend itself to the best storytelling sometimes it does but not yeah i guess i mean yeah no i know i know what you're talking about and i've seen book books like that and i generally chalk chalk it up to to youth i mean that's kind of what what you do you know yeah Uh, that's the common denominator with the ones that we've talked about recently and uh and which is fine i mean like i can't judge them because i did it right (laughs) (laughs) um but i tried to i mean i started in comics a bit old older than like a lot of people are are now it's like i don't know how old i was like 28 or something so i felt like i had that one that one rage fuel scene (laughs) I wanted to get out, get out of the way, and I did it. And then, <laughs> by, by the time I did my next sort of top topical thing, I had like I'd grown up enough, you know, to to want to want to take a more nuanced approach. You know, yeah. there's that's you know, don't confuse that with like a lack of like passion. It's just a right. different path. Right. It's, it's a different path to it. It's a different tactic. You know, um, like everything. I mean, you can read DMZ and you can tell, you know that I have like strong, strong feelings about, about all, all this stuff, but it's, but it's not like a preachy lec- lectury kind of, um, show off comic. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, I want to talk a little bit about collaboration because you've, you've mentioned some of the people who you've worked with and we've mentioned a number of these different books. Uh, you have some artists and colorists who, with whom you've, you've worked with many times, uh, Becky Cloonan and Gary Brown and Christian Donaldson and, and others on art and, and Jordy, I mentioned on colors and you, you have a very strong aesthetic background yourself as an artist and graphic designer. So what are the tenets of a successful partnership or collaboration in comics? Like how much of it is personality and how much of it is something more tangible, like, like skill or style? Um, so much of it is, I don't know, like there, there are artists I work with where like, if it's the first, first time, like, especially if it's on like a Marvel book or something where I'm like assigned someone, you know, I, mm-hmm. I don't find someone and pick them and we pitch, you know, this is just somebody sort of placed upon, upon me. Um, the the art will come back and I'll be like this is awesome everything gels like this fits my words like it's a gut feel feeling mm-hmm. you know and there mm-hmm. are times when it's like this could not be more wrong you know <laughs> and it's it's I can't say why always you know um, I mean I'm not gonna chuck anybody under the the bus but when I the the first time I saw Greg Smallwood's art on Moon Knight I was like this is fucking perfect. You know, there's nothing wrong with this at all. Like, I love it. I love it. This guy, I don't, I never read any of his books before. 
he's my new favorite artist. This is great, you know? <laughs> and um, Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know you, you were assigned together. I really assumed when I was reading that that maybe that was a, a picked collaboration. No. That's no. just a fortunate pairing. Yeah, it, it really worked, worked out. And like I said, it doesn't always work out. Um, but if, I, if I'm coming back to someone more than once, that's usually the reason. It's just some sort of, it just like... It just fits. I don't. I don't really know how to put it into words, you know. And obviously, you know, like we sort of have a similar temperament, possibly. Like I can be kind of terse when I write descriptions and scripts, or when I give notes. Mm. And it's usually just because I'm trying to get like a million things done, right? So I'm like mm -hmm. a little bit blunt about about things. And I feel like the people that like, that. You know, I have su successful par partnerships with Get It. You know, like that temperament matches theirs. You know, um, and it and it works. You know, and then there are cases like someone like you know like Ryan Kelly or Becky, um, where I like I they they change me. Like you know, mm -hmm. I sort of adapt my writing to like match what they do. Um, oh, okay. Um, especially in the case of like Ryan or Becky, like I write like a really loose uh, script, you know, because I sort of want them to, you know, sort of add as much as they can, you know, do their own page layouts, like figure out how many panels this should be, you know, and what the emphasis is, you know, like I'll give, I'll give a trusted partner, like a lot more, more of that sort of decision making process than I would if it was like, you know someone I've never met, met before. Mm -hmm. you know? um, so there is a, there is a trust and a uh, personality. Um, I don't know, like overlap there on both sides with somebody who you've worked with enough that you just yeah. like that. The, the comfort zone, it is shared, I guess it's what it sounds like. Yeah. And as, as a result, it's a very hands-off process. Like I sort of say with, with a pride, and I think Becky has said it too, is that we just never talked on demo. Like I would just write the script <laughs> all on my own. I would just send it to her. She'd be like, cool. She'd like draw. And I wouldn't ask for like a single change, hmm. you know, I think I asked for like <laughs> one, one change on all like the, for the first 12 demos, you know? And like, you know, maybe there was part of me that was like, you know, I don't know, does she like, does she wish I was like brainstorming ideas with her? It's not my, my, my style. But then I asked her and she's like, no, it's awesome. You're like, you just leave me alone. You know? <laughs> just do what I want. Like, you're not like, you know, hovering over me, you know, making comments on stuff. And I'm like, all right, great. You know, and I feel like that's the, that's how things shake out. Like, that's the working relationship that I enjoy the most. And, uh, you know, I mean, if someone doesn't like that, then it's probably someone that I don't work work with more than more than once. You know, not in, like, the malicious way, but it just kind of works out that way, you know. Um, so, and, like, I try not to, like, I don't micro micromanage, you know, unless there's some, some real serious issue, you know, that needs to be worked out. Um, and it's great. I mean, I like to be alone. This is why one of the reasons why I have the job I have is that <laughs> I'm not like a let's sit down over coffee, <laughs> like figure it out kind of on a on a napkin kind of a guy. You know? <laughs> I'm just like, okay, I got it. Leave me alone. I'll come back to you with like a script. You know. You didn't go into comics to sit in uh, in collaboration meetings all day. No. Okay. And I'm doing. I mean, we'll we'll get into this. I'm sure, but I'm doing 
a bunch of like TV writing now, which I'll get, get into. And that's like the opposite of that. Like <laughs> I can't just go by myself into like a room and be like, don't, don't bother me. I'll tell you what it's done. You know, like it, it's a, it's not like, I'm not sitting in like a room with, with a bunch of other weirdos, but uh, <laughs> there is a lot more talking and back and forth and sharing what are you that yeah let's switch gears and and talk about that for a minute what are you working on right now i can't say a lot (laughs) thanks thanks for that it's like (laughs) it's it's the nature of the of the of things you know um and it always sounds super obnoxious but i'll i can i can speak generally about about it and um well not not even to have you confirm or deny but there's some of your books have already been optioned for TV shows. I never talk about options. This is like a pet peeve. <laughs> oh, no. mean nothing. They mean nothing. Sure. Nothing. They really don't mean anything at all. Like, like a, a sale means something. Right. An option is they're just giving you a couple of bucks so that you don't sell it to anybody. Mm-hmm. They're like putting it on the, on the, on the layaway See, shelf. you can't say this, yeah. though, because options drive up comic prices astronomically and that's how i pay for all my new books so we can't let this no, information yeah. out there but don't people get get wise after a while an option is like the cheapest thing yeah for like a, a, stu- a studio you know um like when every time i like announce a new book like i just get a bunch of e- emails from these producers in quotes that i've never heard of before i can't find them online mm-hmm. they're like i want to option your book for like a thousand dollars for three three years mm-hmm. Because what what's that to them? You know, right. but that is something to you. I mean, this is I'm, we're maybe spearing off into territory oh. you don't care, but but in terms of your business and your properties, optioning your book to the wrong kind of development producer could mean yeah. that it doesn't get made. Whereas if you let someone else who's actually interested in it, it does. Yeah, I'm not saying options are are bad. I guess what I'm saying is that talking about them right. doesn't really mean a whole lot because it's not because nothing's really happened yet. Yeah. All it means is someone who would saw enough value to give you and options are like a couple of thousand thousand dollars, mm-hmm. you know. It's it's not a lot. Um so I just like I mean I've gone down that path so many times <laughs> where options just like they're just never exer- exercised. You know, yeah. they just expire and I never hear from these people ever again. That I'm just like, you know what, I'm just not gonna say anything until it's like a real yeah. until it's real. Yeah. Um, because it's, I feel like I'm like crying wolf every single single time. Mm. Um, so, but but yes, I, many many of my books are options. Uh, <laughs> and that's they, not what you're writing right now. When it when it turns into something, you know, I'll be shouting it from the from the. <laughs> um, no, like so forever. Like I have an agent, and she's been like, you know, it sounds crass in like a Hollywood way. She's been like, you know, selling me for years. Um, you know, and these things just take a, take a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I've sort of learned not to look side to side and judge my own progression based on somebody else's fortunes, you know. Um, but finally, uh, like, the last, like, seven years of me working with her seemed seem to be paying off. And I have, um, I'm writing two pilots hmm. of, of my own cre- cre- creation um, that are real. I mean, I'm, it's like... I'm getting paid to write a, write a pilot. That doesn't mean there's a guaranteed show, you know. But, but does that mean a guaranteed shoot of the pilot? I don't want to even say it guarantees that. There's many hurdles that have to, have to have happen. You know, you have to get the, 
you know, the script has to get written. Like, usually you have to start all the way at the option stage, and then, you know, they pay somebody to write a script. Mm-hmm. And then if they find somebody that was willing to invest more, then they turn that script into a actual pilot episode. And then if they find someone or, if, you know, it all looks, looks, looks good, and the investor, the channel, or the network, or whatever, wants to further invest, then it goes to the series. So you have to like sort of like prove yourself at these various steps. Yeah. Mm. There's one I'm writing now. I think I'm gonna have the pilot written in like a week. Like a lot of that business crap is already figured figured out. So I would say this has a very very high chance mm. of getting it on the on the air for like various reasons um, that make it different from from a, tip, a typical situation. So so that's so that's great. Um, the, the, the other one is a little bit earlier in the process and, you know, so we'll see, but, uh, is it, is it hard to not get caught up in the, I, I don't know, like the mystique of the whole, you, you're speaking about it very much like it's, it's business and here are the steps that have to happen yeah. because yeah. it's a business. And so it doesn't sound like you are wrapped up in the excitement, but man, like well, at the end of the day, it's very exciting. It's it's exciting, and I can allow myself to like appreciate that. At times. <laughs> and uh, like and you're said, not bragging that you're a writer. <laughs> like that is what you do. <laughs> I'm, I, like I said, I've been down this road road before, you know. So it's like I'm sort of like you know, when someone writes me a, a check, then that's that's when I get uh, excited about it, you know. Um, you know. So I'm getting checks here. So, <laughs> but it's like, but but I recognize that, you know, very very few things percentage wise make it onto the air. Right. So that's you know. true. Um, and at the end of the day, it's like I'm still sitting alone in my little weird room, writing writing a script. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fun when I get to go out and I meet the actors, and it's it's exciting, and I'm like star starstruck and I feel feel cool and everything because I'm sitting with a famous person in a restaurant but so you are confirming that you are that you have high highly uh, famous people attached to you okay we got right. it <laughs> yeah um, but I'm saying like that's the exciting sure. sort of the, the mystique of, of it all yeah. like I feel but then you get to oh, I gotta, back to your I gotta get on a plane and go to and go to LA this, this weekend <laughs> sorry sorry everybody I gotta do it it's like it's you know so it's like it's fun, but I think of it like I'm not taking it super seri- seriously. I'm, I'm enjoying it because it's like fun and crazy, and mm-hmm. I, it seems like so unlike me that that I can kind of get it, get into it, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I am not swaggering around <laughs> thinking about the uh, the director's chair that's going to have my name on it, you know, that I'm going to sit in, you know, when I'm on set and all this stuff. And, I'm not making like my ten-year plan, like oh, I'll do comics and then I'm gonna be- become a filmmaker, blah blah blah. You know, um, so I'm just gonna I, I'm gonna isolate that statement. Though. I want to work work less and make make more. That's really my my life goal. <laughs> this all this stuff that is the American dream. <laughs> That's everybody's right. life goal. Yeah. Yeah. I want to have more time lay, laying on my on my couch. Is really what I'm what I'm shooting for. Perfect. So. <laughs> so um I want to I want to talk a little bit about Starve just because I I really really enjoyed it and I I've read um 
the whole first arc, as as you know. And Aaron yes. hasn't, and so I can hold that over his head. No, but I'm I, not going to spoil because I'm it, not a jerk. I'm doing it for for the entertainment purposes. I would like to you're, read it as it's complete and coming out. You're a better man than I, anyway. <laughs> um, so the the visceral focus on food and like the crafting and the presentation of meals, it's just it's like unlike anything I've ever seen in comics and I'm going to make a comparison right now that is kind of awful, but, but there's a, there's a similarity in reverence in which the food is presented. That reminds me of the TV series, Hannibal. Uh, it, there's just, there's just so much about it visually that makes me, ah, uh, I like salivate. It's insane. Did you, <laughs> Did you go to culinary school in your copious free time? Like, I I don't understand where that's coming from because there's a mastery here about the food in the culinary industry that is that goes beyond just dabbling. It's 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 as if you very much love everything about food. And I want I want to hear about that. I'm I'm a like I'm an observer only of these cooking shows, but I've watched <laughs> a, I watched a lot of them. Right. Yeah. So I like I would not call myself a uh, foodie or I don't cook really. Like, I mean, I make meals and I wouldn't call it cooking. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm like I'm like sem- I'm like functional in the kitchen. Um, wow. But it's like I well, when I first came up with Starve, my intention, because I was still in like this like Northland Landers hyper research m- mode. And I was like, I'm gonna research the fucking shit out of this. Like, I'm gonna know everything there is to know. I'm gonna get this book on this um, molecular gastronomy and nose to tail. And I'm gonna read this and read that. And when actually, when years passed, and now I'm writing this, I'm like, oh, no, I'm not gonna do it. Mm. <laughs> I'm just gonna wing it, you know. And I actually have, I'm actually happy to hear you say that because I have a lot of fear that, like, I'm just like, like, sort of like half, half-assing all. Of Food, the food stuff and I'm sure no, you're faking some, it really well I'm sure there's going to be some because I really am faking you know, I don't really know <laughs> all I all all my research is just watching top top chef it's, <laughs> it's really all I've done like I read a, I read the Anthony Bourdain books and a couple of their you know books about chefs lives but I'm not reading like the like the like the cooking process mm. and stuff you know? right uh, right like all the recipes, like you've seen in, in future issues, there's like rest recipes. So I just like look up like like seven or eight recipes, similar ones, and like make some weird Frankenstein hybrid one. You know, <laughs> which sure would not work if you if you cooked it. You know? <laughs> sure, it's it's not like a it's it's not a real a real thing. You know. Oh, so so if I make the recipes that are in some of the later issues in that the first arc, it's just totally bunk. Well. You're- yeah, I mean, breaking I, I'm my heart specific here. Specific with like the like amounts and measure measurements. Yeah. So yeah, yes. it'd, be, it'd be your fault if you made. Oh it. man! <laughs> all the all the ingredients are correct, but I'm not right. like in the right make like a like a meal. You know, describe <laughs> something that tastes tastes good. But but it's fun. I mean, I'm I'm just a fan of it. You know, so um, I, you I know, look I'm, forward to Andrea's YouTube series of reaction videos to the meal she makes from Starve. Yeah. yeah, it's actually a really good, good idea. <laughs> I should take some of my big-time Hollywood money and pay you. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like I an don't. excellent idea. Well, you have to option the idea for me first. Oh, right, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Before you can go into production. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's, I, it's, 
super fun. It's a hundred times more fun than I uh, thought it would be. Um, writing this this weird weird book, um, and I'm already on into the second arc. I'm writing issue six. Uh, it's great. It's great to hear, to hear that you're having fun writing it because yeah. it's definitely a, not an easy book to describe to other people. So thanks for that. <laughs> well, I'll say, I mean, it's sort of like that sort of, you know, I'm paying the price for that because it is, it, it presents as really weird. Yeah. And it, it ordered really low because of that. Hmm. Um, and like no one really knew what it what it was, and like I didn't know how to like I put the previews online. I talk I talk talked about it, but it is a very difficult thing to um, you know to explain you know until you actually see it. I feel like you you read the book and you're like, okay, all right, it makes sense now. But well, especially some with... of the like the family dynamics that happen a little bit later that I think are there's like a, there's a lot of heart there that I hope that people respond to. Right, right. So I'm definitely, we're definitely aiming for a sleeper hit status <laughs> as opposed to run a, runaway image hit status. Well, you see that with a lot of image books, though, just from a sales standpoint, that the single issues of a first arc don't necessarily sell well, but the first trade will once it's gained, you know, some yeah. some review yeah. attention. I mean, all my stuff usually sells, sells better in trade anyway. So I mean, it's not like I'm worried, but I definitely could recognize that this was like a difficult book to sort of... Mm -hmm. Get a get a hand to hand on, but I don't care. You know, <laughs> that's kind of rad, man. I, yeah. Seriously, that like just listening to you describe how you feel doing that book is is notable. I think it comes across in in the finished in the finished piece. Like it seems like you guys are having a blast with it. So yeah, and Daniel is an is an artist that I was a, a fan of first. Like, like before I was making comics, like I used to find this like super obscure editions of that guy's comics. Like he's, he's written a million books. He's like written. He's so good. <laughs> he's really good. And I always yeah. loved his art. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Yeah. But it was like, he was like a guy like so far out of, out of reach, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so at some point, I think it was, in, he did a issue of DMZ only because Vertigo knows him. And I'm like, you oh. can get that guy? That'd be fucking awesome. You know, <laughs> they got him and I really couldn't believe it because it was like, you know, I'm playing basketball with Michael Jordan or something. It's like you <laughs> yes. never thought you would like you would have access to to this person that you're such like a fan a fanboy of, you know? And and so I still have that that feeling, you know, every time you know, I get the I get the pages in. <laughs> so it's cool. Well and talk about a guy that like like works by itself. <laughs> like, like I send him a a script and he says nothing, makes <laughs> zero comment, shows me no sketch, oh. and in three in three weeks the entire issue arrives in my inbox, like perfect, perfect. <laughs> and I'm just like, who who works like that? <laughs> so that's pretty cool. That's true art. That's a true artist, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of exciting now. Sounds yeah. like it pairs very well with with your style. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, this is the part of the show uh, where we drill you for our suggestions. So, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna bug you for a ton of like TV or movie recommendations, but you do read a lot of books. And is there anything you've checked out recently that stuck with you? Anything you've read that you want to recommend to listeners? Well, right now I'm reading that Neil Stevenson book, mm -hmm. Seven Eves. How How is it? Um. 
I'm a huge Neil Stevenson fan. Well, so. then it's, good. it's definitely it's it's good. It's it's really it's a roller coaster emotionally. Oh uh, wow! Okay, okay. And sort of, I mean, it's very typical of the best of his stuff, and you'll love okay. it. But it's it's very diff difficult at times. Um, oh, sounds just like yeah. Him. It's really hard to say without going it, but like so, what is it? it's like a 900 page of book. Right. So. Like on like page six, uh, six hundred, I was like, like stabbed in the heart, like over and over again. Oh no! And I'm like, I'm supposed to finish this book now. <laughs> what, what just happened? Like, and then it got like a little slow, but now at the end, it's sort of paying off. So that's why that's why I call it a roller coaster. Okay. Um, the other books I read and I'm totally brain dead, so I'm like looking it up. Is I read a lot of um, I read a lot of non nonfiction. And so that gets boring after a while or whatever. I need a uh, break. So I read a lot of crime thrillers of the airport mm. variety. Oh, really? Yeah, sort of guilty, guilty pleasure. And there's this trilogy of books by this guy, guy Peter May, M-A-Y. It's called the, the Lewis Trilogy, which is sort of like crime novel set in some like re remote island off the coast of Scotland. Okay. Which is like I'm already into it just based yeah. on that, that alone, and right. it's just really it's it's a it's a great story on its on its own like the actual plot, but the description of the location and the culture and the people is really mm -hmm. interesting because it's like where where do you, where have you ever read read a book about you know people that live in old like stone houses and some horrible place off the coast of Scotland, Scotland where no human being should ever exist. You know? Actually in, uh, in one of Neil Stevenson's books is like the only other place. Like in Cryptonomicon, there's the whole fake island that's off the northern yeah. coast of Scotland. Right. Right. Yeah, totally. So, I, I completely agree that the idea that somebody would choose to live there is fascinating. <laughs> and it's like it's like the, it flashes back and forth in time, so you sort of like see it see it from different, you know nice. eras and everything. So that that was that was very sense satisfying to read but i read boring stuff usually it's like i'm i don't know i'm, I'm always reading for uh, work you know mm -hmm. it's just not so much so much fun yeah but having a guilty pleasure which of course is not yeah. actually a guilty pleasure having something like that that you can turn your brain off to enjoy yes. is it's good and at, you know, with all those trips back and forth to LA for your, you know, Hollywood oh, meetings, you know, you need stuff for the the airport books that you picked up. Yeah, yeah, because you're taking your private jet that you've chartered, that the, that the, you know, the studio has sent. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what what happens. Right? Living the life. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is great. Is there anything else that we like glossed gonna, over? I thought you guys were going to ask me about about Spawn. We were, and then we decided that we didn't need to. There really isn't a whole lot to say. I mean, yeah. it was announced, right, that you were going to write Spawn last fall, and then you said that there were a bunch of rewrites, and you parted ways. Oh. Yeah. It was, pretty... um, I mean, in retrospect, I mean, it was difficult at the time because uh, it was a case of, as I'm sure everybody's experienced this in their own way and in their own place, where you do everything according to what you're told mm -hmm. and you're fired anyway or you fail it way yeah. or, or whatever chastise um so yeah everything was like humming along great you know and then there was a conflict and i just assumed the conflict would be resolved 
in my favor and it was, <laughs> oh, was not. And right, so right. then, you know, like, you know, I like, I mean, it was a very well, well-paying job. I had turned, turned down a lot of work and then I found myself without a huge chunk of, of income in like Christmas week, mm. which not, I don't put a lot of sentimental stock in that kind of thing, but it was like a bad time to lose work. Right. <laughs> sure. Um, because then it took me like over a month to like replace it. So that was like a little bit rocky. Um, but in, in retrospect, it's like clear that, you know, Todd wanted Paul to, to write the, write the book. Mm -hmm. Like, like he actually asked Paul, Paul couldn't. And then he asked me, and then at some point, Paul became available. Oh. <laughs> so this is all clear clear to me now, and like months and months later, you know, what this situation was. Not that it's any less shitty, but uh, right. at least I'm like, well, <laughs> I can understand that. And like, I still did nothing wrong. You know, I still had everything approved that I had written, you know, so. Yeah. It's just the way. That it. sounds like a very specific to this situation kind of unfortunate occurrence like it doesn't sound like this is a a common thing that happens in it's, comics well you're always i mean just by the nature of the work you're always sort of at that risk you know we're we're only hired like an, an issue at a, at a time really when we're ta talking about work work for hire books you know you right, sort sure. of can be let, let go at like any any point um this was sort of you unique in the in the cold-bloodedness of it mm. um but like and so obviously i'm better off like it makes sense in retrospect blah 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 i'm fine yeah, um it was i it would have been 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 fun i mean what what's hap happening in the book now is nothing like like i would have done and i was actually <laughs> into it like i was like pretty pretty into the story so uh i can't put put my script online because i was paid paid for it mm. so belongs yeah. to, uh, Todd, but uh I wish I could. Well, that, that book in particular, though, it has a long history of you know people coming and going pretty yeah. uh, pretty right. regularly. Yeah. If 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 I had to to describe my take, it would have been like DMZ mixed with Purge Anarchy. <laughs> it was very much like a like a heavy action urban assault <laughs> insanity. Like it was like really. It was very dark. That fits Spawn just fine. Yeah. Yeah. But that does make me kind of have a question in a larger sense when when the industry of comics and or anything really your the name you build, you know, is part of it's part of this the sales process, both to publishers and to and to readers. You know, how much do you think about these these jobs that you take on? Because a lot of the time, you're there is the editorial aspect. There's the motivation of the of the parent company beyond what you turn into them, you know. So right. so so many I, I you can tell like as as you read more comics, you get a, and you especially if you're kind of plugged into social media, you get you can tell how much was the the writer's intention, whose name is on the comic, and how much was the you know the bigger the company's agenda that is now using that person's name to sell sell the story. Like, yeah. is that something you struggle with? Is something is that a kind of a constant balancing act that you have to to work with? It's definitely not a constant thing. I mean, I sort of, um, you know, like I'm I do my licensed stuff at Dark Horse, which is which is great. I mean, I feel like they sort of 
have figured it out. Mm -hmm. Like like the editor, what, whatever the editor does as the person in between me and the license holder is great. So I never have any issues. You know, right. when, if there if there if there are any issues, it, it never reaches me, mm -hmm. which is awesome. Right. So I just write write what I write. You know, I get notes notes back. And they're never crazy. You know, right. um, and so it all works out. Um, but that, but that's a trusted part, relationship now. It is, and it works, and I've sort of learned a couple of lessons over these last several years of doing all this work for hire and company and license stuff um, that, you know, I feel like it's much more likely I would take the job if it was a Dark Horse job mm -hmm. than somewhere else. Um, the Marvel stuff was trickier because it was like, it was, um, and I'm not just, just being diplomatic, I'm being super honest about this, I'm... A, a certain kind of writer thrives at Marvel. Mm -hmm. I, I am not the kind of writer <laughs> that thrives in that environment. <laughs> like the sort of get in a room, as a, <laughs> you know, and talk about all this stuff. Well, and, and, the, and they're big properties out. too. That you, when you're and, building, you know, what's supposed to be a shared universe, there's a lot of, in theory, interconnected parts that you aren't just writing your story. You're writing a story that's supposed yes. to be cohesive to the rest of of right. the universe and a lot of last minute changes mm -hmm. a lot of rolling with the with the with the punches which i just don't enjoy yeah i don't yeah. enjoy and i and i react poorly not that i throw tantrums <laughs> but like i'll always like i always do what i'm told but it, it, it's not good 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 work as a result like i'm not into it like i'm i'm upset and it sucks <laughs> you know so i mean that the x-men book is a great is a great example of Sort of having that, I mean, it's not malicious. I don't fault Marvel at all. It's the nature of that kind of shared universe writing mm -hmm. where, like, right, somebody comes along and takes your character away. Someone comes along and says, this arc that you've already begun, make it two, two issues shorter mm -hmm. because we have, we have an event coming. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, here's an event. Write an issue that's part four of six and make sure X, Y, Z happens in it. And or even like, more, or even more so right, these days. Like, there's a TV show, and we need to make sure that this, this, and this happen this month. Yeah. Or write part part four of this event. We don't have the scripts for one, two, and three. <laughs> like, and it's like, I mean, clearly there are writers on Marvel. Everybody knows who they are. Like, crank it out, and the work is good. Everybody loves them, and they're half happy. I just have was never. That guy. That guy. <laughs> well, there are definitely I, there are a couple of writers. I'm not going to name names who. Basically, I can I can see that they ignore that too, and they just turn in scripts and they just have to be used, because maybe maybe I'm I would never feel like I had the the, the balls to pull. Sure, that. like I said, I do what I'm told. I'm a good a good boy that way. <laughs> like if an editor says do do this, like I'll do it. I always will. You know, possibly that's not always the right thing, but I always <laughs> will, will do it. Um, so X Men, it was a it was a really rough job, and I felt like the work really showed, and I felt like I never really knew what was ha happening, you know, which is unfortunate. Um, Moon Knight, on the other hand, was awesome because I didn't have to worry about any, anything, right. you know. I just did did my stuff, you know. I mean, there were definitely notes and rewrites and a lot of, you know, conversations with the, with the editor, but it wasn't that sort of, like, like 11th hour, oh, my God, you know, right. change this and this and this and because somebody else is doing 
something. Mm -hmm. yeah. But is that also uh, somewhat the nature of the, um, I guess, the those two titles specifically? I mean, you're talking about, like, flagship X-Men book, right? And yeah. then Moon Knight, who's kind of a loose cannon guy who works on his own anyway. <laughs> he... When when you said that that's what you were doing, I'm like, man, that character pairs so well with Brian. <laughs> it, it just seems like uh, it, it would be it would just be more relaxing to work on something that could exist within, but more on the periphery of the Marvel universe than like right in the middle of all of the chaos. It's definitely relaxing in the sense that. Um... Because nothing is relaxing in Marvel. Oh, right. <laughs> it's relaxing in the sense that I can just sort of, like, focus on my own stuff. Sure, sure. I don't always have to have one eye open for, like, the curve curveball that's about to yeah. smash, smash me in the face, you know? Uh, um, like I said, no, I'm, like, I really am not upset or I'm not judging them. It's just that it's it's what the what that company has to be to mm -hmm. the work they do. Mm -hmm. And they have, and, you know, and I'm not doing a Marvel book now, and I've pretty sure this is the, re the reason why, you know, is they sort of have figured out what kind of writer I am. And there just isn't a lot of space. But those books do come there's, up. There's not a lot of Moon Knight situations, right. you know, right. uh, where I can just kind of go in with, like, a autonomy and do my thing. Mm -hmm. so, um, which is fine. Yeah. yeah. So. You got other stuff that is sounding really, really nifty. Yeah, so I've already... So, like I said, I'm, I'm working really far in, in advance. So, like, I finished what's contracted on Rebels. Okay. Uh, I finished that. I was doing that that licensed book Eve for that video game Eve. Oh Ball, right. Which I which I finished a while a while ago. That book w will only c come out when the, when the game comes out, and the game mm -hmm. will only come out when the Oculus Rift is is ready. Oh, so <laughs> over so a don't, year from hold now. Breath. I, mean, I don't even know. No one knows. Uh -huh. So it's fully done. Like on the, on the shelf, um, and they're gonna announce a small thing at San Diego, a I will say a prequel to an existing thing. Ah, that's all I will say. And uh, will you that, tell us what the publisher is? No, because then you'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna assume that I'm right, and that makes me happy. It honestly really is no secret whatsoever, except <laughs> in the eyes of the of the PR people. Got it. Yeah. Uh, so I gotta play. You always gotta play their their game. They have they have spreadsheet plans of when this sure. happens and everything. Sure. So um, and then I have contracts I have to sign and send back for what will be two long long term books once all this short short stuff is out of the way. Um, so I'm I'm basically set with that that and my TV stuff. So awesome. I'm feeling feeling comfortable. Does that help uh, with your kind of having you know knowing that there's a kind of a roadmap that carries you, yeah. you know, work wise? That does that relax the writing process too? Does that spawn it, creativity? It relaxes, it relaxes everything. Sure. I mean, I don't, like I have a I have a high over uh, overhead having a couple of kids living <laughs> in Brooklyn. Right. So like I never like I mean Dark Horse really I don't know I was really riding them hard for these two contracts I have to sign because I'm like I'm almost done with I'm almost done with Eve like I don't know what's happening next mm -hmm. give me like approve something please so I know what's happening you know? <laughs> so I know I don't have to go go looking somewhere somewhere else you know? yeah um so it's 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 comf it's com comfortable having that like you know sort of guaranteed income 
Yeah. Um, yeah, and honestly, like, I'm, like, I've, how long have I been doing comics? Like, seven, 17 years? Something like that. Like, the whole TV thing is really, I mean, there's a financial reason for it. And there's a creative re reason for it. But there's a practical reason. It's like, I, don't, I shouldn't have all my eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, I don't know, I don't know what, what my longevity is in comics. Um, and that's something everybody, I think, should, should think, think about. I don't know if they do. Well, you see but, a lot of creators dip in and out. They might then take, you know, work, artists might work, you know, in the commercial space and writers write for TV yeah. and movies and then come back to comics when that right. dries up. Yeah. So. Um, I'm definitely trying to work, uh, achieve the, the, the Warren Ellis model, whatever he has on, <laughs> where he sort of does he, he he seems like anyway because I don't I don't know he seems like he is able to pick and choose with the leisure what he does in comics yeah, yeah. as opposed to what I have to do what everybody else does where we just like grind it out <laughs> week after week to to pay the pay the bills mm -hmm. you know so I'm looking to to diversify therefore have some more some more options. Good, good plan. It it uh, it sounds like you're not a young twenty-something comic book writer anymore. <laughs> like really, that's that's the big difference is that you're yeah. older and wiser. And really bite, biting my tongue because like, <laughs> years ago, like years and years ago, I was like, you know what? Like I used to be the guy that would like sub sub subtweet, <laughs> talk shit, and everything. Yeah. Like it's just like. I don't get it. Like I'm so over, over that. I'm too old, <laughs> too old for it. Like it's gross. Like everybody does it. There's, I don't know. I always say there's, like it looks like awesome. Like we're all like team team comics. That's how how it looks to like you guys possibly. But there's so much ugly backstabbing. Uh, a lot of that ugliness has become much more visible. It really so, has because yeah, there's, it's, because there's money now because it's it's I, I hate to say it there's there's image it's money there's money yeah. to, you know mm -hmm. and uh, much more so than there was and it's really bringing out what I think is like the worst in a lot of people that and it, and it breaks my heart it really does because it's it's gross and I can't wait wait for it to, for it to pass you know. You think it will? You think that there's a it's a it'll flip back in the other direction? I don't, I'm, actually I don't even know. Because I I feel I mean honestly I feel like so much of that is just internet culture right now of yes. just the ugliness. I blame, I blame Twitter as just as much for it too. Yeah yeah absolutely. I mean I I love Twitter as a communication tool and it like brings this disparate community together to talk about comics in all the best ways but also all the worst ways. And it's, yeah. that ugliness is so it the way that it affects all of us in real life is real. Like the anxiety and the the like hurt feelings and the the all of that yuckiness from online that affects people in their real lives. Like yeah. that's that's not just like oh it's the internet. Like no, that's fucking real, man. And we either have to figure out how that's going to work. Or the whole thing's going to explode. See, I, I look at these trends just like from the same way, like society has always kind of shifted back and forth that I think we're on the cusp of internet morality, that that it will swing back the other way. And this sort of kind of free for all, you know, the, the without checks or balances, the the base instincts, you know, the, the dark places we we can go now will swing back the other way where 
there'll be a snapback that pe- the new the next generation won't allow that that it'll be seen as as breaking the the societal contract hmm. like you think all of our kids yeah are going to be better than we are it, at this it'll be different it it just evolves and i mean these these instincts exist regardless like the leave it to beaver culture never really existed but on the surface there were these these rules that that kept the you know the perception in place so i don't think the the human nature changes but the way humans interact whether you know we just have a new way of technology of doing it it just it's so new to us still that it has to like we almost have to get all that bile out into the world so that the next generation instinctually rebels against it Hmm. I liked I it know. better when we just talked shit amongst ourselves. <laughs> it wasn't amplified to like an insane degree, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, the, the, the public... Facilitating like the whole mob mentality. And, yeah. Like, I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I blame Twitter for a lot of it. And I'm only half joking when I'm like, I can't wait for it to die. And whatever comes next, I hope is better, you know? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's like, it's really, um, I don't know. It's so un- unhealthy for us meaning my peers other comic comic book creators it's it's a performance mm-hmm. you know yes. we're, we're we're showing off for you like we're having every conversation that any normal human being would have one-on-one we're we're performing it for you for yeah for, you know and showing off and bragging and looking cool and taking shots and like trying trying to be the most popular one and everything and it's it's so gross i hate it i hate it with every like fiber of my <laughs> being and i see collab- collaborators of mine or friends of mine doing it and i'm just like oh why it sucks you know oh. you don't have to do that just do Man. your work just work and there's a lot of this in starve so i don't know maybe <laughs> there's it's a like, lot yeah, that i well, feel like that you're just so talking about that is in the book that you're writing right now and i'm like hearing it and it's all clicking and it's kind of awesome <laughs> and also really really terrible see we we, we <laughs> drew it out of you you're not so I impartial know, but, but but now that i know is it gonna affect me? <laughs> <laughs> You might have just ruined, ruined it for me. Yeah. Oh, no. No, I don't know. I don't know if that's, I don't know how much of that is coming out or conscious or something, but uh, I don't know. <sighs> no, it, it's it's something that, like, I think about a lot. I think about how how many interactions I've had online that where I felt shitty afterwards. And, like, that's the that's the opposite of the point of something that you do for fun and entertainment, right? It shouldn't react... You shouldn't react to it in a negative if it is not something that you have to do. And so that's, like, me speaking, engaging in it as, as, a, as a fan, as a reader, and not as a creator. So I, I can... I can only imagine what it's like on the other... on the well, other side of it. Well, let me ask you, as a... Sorry just to use this word because I hate it, but as like a fan and you look at my peers doing this stuff, like, how do you feel? Oh, I hate it too. All of the people that we're not mentioning by names, that it yeah. sounds like we're, you know, dancing around and describing, um, we see it. And I think that that some some of us are more aware of it and hate it more than others. And And there's a, some of it is a maturity thing and like an age thing in and of itself, right? Um, like I'm going to be 36 on Wednesday. I'm not interested in a 24 year old 
whether he makes comics or or not, I'm not yeah. interested in him telling me how the world works because I think we have different perspectives. Yeah. So there's I mean, there's that, but you know, at the end of the day, I kind of hope that everybody's inherently good, and that's what bites me in the ass because sometimes they're not. Yeah. It, it it makes me cringe in my in my chair. Like it causes yeah. me actual actual discomfort and pain. Sometimes it's so yeah. so like horrible to watch. You know? I'm really like I don't know. I, I should probably just stop because I'm not. I'm. I will say that I'm not actually. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular because I, <laughs> I it's, am. It's so wide widespread, and because I feel like if, if 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 I was trying to dance around some some someone, you know, I'd be guilty of doing what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> but I, I see it. It's so wide, widespread that I I can speak generally, and I know I'm hitting like you know like seventy five targets, you know, doing right. doing so. Um, and that's why I say I wish Twitter would just go away. I wish it would just All you can do up. is just keep uh, making good comics and like keep your head above water. A, you know, it's hard because I I would quit Twitter in five minutes if I felt like I could. And there's something right. about it. Like I, there's there's a lot of like like. In, in investment of time and everything in my 28,000 followers that I'm, that I'm afraid to. Like, I'm actually no. afraid to not be there, even though I'm I'm sure it's it's not affecting anything, you know? Like, I'm sure if I vanished off of Twitter, like, my books would still get the same orders. Like, every, like the world would still turn, you know? <laughs> I'd still be friends with the people that I'm actually friends with, you know? But I can understand why you wouldn't want to it's scary. It's, it's and, and that also makes me resent it more. As I feel like yeah. I'm like I'm like feel enslaved by this like stupid thing that turns everybody I know into a dick. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh just, man. Look, some of us like to remain impartial and just post pictures yeah. of comics that they bought, and right. you know. Yeah. That's right. It's a, just it's a keep doing what you do. It's in a there. tool <laughs> that you can you can use and tailor to how you want it to be. So, so in like a lighter note, so I sent Andrea a box of comics. Did you get get that? You did, and did I post it? No, because I was afraid I wasn't allowed to share what you what you. That's not, well. There's that one thing you should not share. Okay, right? good. And I is did. that the one thing that is driving Aaron crazy? Crazy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> she showed yeah. me. I meant to ask you that. Yeah, she showed me. I showed Aaron, and then I didn't. I I was like, dude, this is super secret. But look at this. Oh my god, look at this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Great. Yeah. <laughs> see, you're see, you're just as bad as all those Twitter people. Yeah, but you're I don't just doing it. You're like... you're doing it like in real life now. You're you're. That's that makes it okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sending them to her. She won't even bag and board it. Ah, uh, that is that's not true, dude. That that is like so well protected and, um, yeah. I the stuff like that I take care of very very well. Mm. Good for you. I'm happy you have that. Uh, well, I, I feel like this is the perfect time to wrap things up because okay. I'm feeling good and Aaron's not. I was, I was not trying to and... get us off of that negative. <laughs> yeah. um, so. Making fun of um, me and my envy of, of certain Yep, comments. that's the way it works, Aaron. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Brian, for joining us on the couch this week. Thank you to all of you for listening to another episode of Comics Therapy. Don't forget to pre-order your comics at your local shop and subscribe to them digitally. Show notes and other details are on our site, as always, comicstherapy.com. See you next week. Great. Thank you. Yay! I took the pills. I pick
soon.